Action Fanatics, welcome to the anniversary edition of the Bulletproof Podcast. I am your host, Chris the Brain. Joining me, it is Chad Cruz. And Chad, we have made it one year into the podcast. I cannot believe it. One year. Uh, it's our anniversary. The honeymoon is over. Now we actually have to learn how to work as partners, as a team. Well, there you. We'll, we'll see if we can do it right here. And, you know, we're going to be celebrating all month long here on the Bulletproof Podcast, because we're going to be covering a, a big movie, uh, a movie that really shows the willpower that we have, because this is my favorite movie of all time. It is Death Wish 3, and joining us to celebrate, it is the toy man himself. He's back, Chris Petrillo. Welcome back, and welcome to our Death Wish 3 podcast. Happy to be back. Happy anniversary to the podcast. Glad to be back on such an important episode. And I guess uh, if you guys are learning how to be partners and learning how to work it out, I guess I'm the third wheel, the spice that you throw in to mix things up. <laughs> Ooh. Spice don't, it up. Don't, don't take it that far, Chad. Come on now. Yeah, we, are, we are married men here. I'm excited. <laughs> it doesn't take much to get Chad excited these days. And I'm definitely very excited about uh, Death Wish 3. Again, uh, my favorite movie of all time, uh, probably the movie I have seen more times than any other. And that's really saying something, too, because I got off to a, to a late start on Death Wish 3. I didn't see it until maybe 2004, 2005. And once I did, though, it was it kind of took over my life. How about how about you, Chad? When, did you see this back in the day or? Yeah, I think uh, probably not right when they had come out, um, but. When I was a kid, my dad was a big Charles Bronson fan, going back into his westerns and stuff like that. So I had seen most, if not all, of the Death, death Wishes when I was young, but I haven't seen it until recently for, I mean, at least a decade, probably 15 years. I probably mm. seen it 15 years. So I did a rewatch recently, so I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. How about you, Chris? What, what was, when was your uh, first Death Wish 3 experience? I want to say it was when it was on TMC or maybe Showtime when I was younger, back in the days of my cousin videotaping everything off of television and creating a vast movie collection, which I partially inherited and was inspired to become a movie fanatic by. So I would say I was probably about uh, six or seven with my uh, first brush with Bronson and Death Wish 3. Very good. You got off to a great start. Um, But before we get into the discussion, I want to plug bulletproofaction.com and you should check it out because just recently I posted 10 things you may not have known about Death Wish 3. So you can go back there and there's been plenty of other Death Wish 3 uh, related posts over the years. But now here it is. We are going to talk about it here on the Bulletproof podcast. It is Death Wish 3 starring Charles Bronson, directed by Michael Winner. This one was released on November the 1st, 1985, and this one starts off with Paul Kersey back in New York, um, just to kind of catch everybody up in the original Death Wish in 1974. The uh, movie ended with the police basically telling Kersey to uh, leave town um, because, you know, they didn't want to pursue charges against this man who basically single-handedly dropped the uh, crime rates in New York City, Chad. Right. He had, he had kind of worn out his welcome, I think. And at, and at that time in New York, uh, crime wasn't, it was pretty rampant. Um, so vigilantism, while, while frowned upon, I'd say as a, as a police officer, uh, you can only watch these lowlifes get killed so many times before you start to cheer for it secretly. 
And it seems like that's what they were doing by the end of the film. And then they just said, well, instead of arresting this guy who's doing a lot of good for us, let's just boot him out of town. And I think what in the second one, he went to where? L.A.? Los Angeles. Yep, yeah. he goes to L.A. Um, and he kind of picks up where he left off. But this one is a little bit more personal in part two because he was just, you know, taking out any muggers because his wife and daughter were victims of muggers in New York. But he didn't know exactly who it was. In Death Wish 2... He knows exactly who the guys were because he was present for for some of their uh, heinous acts. So he, you know, purposely is hunting them down. But now here we are, Death Wish 3. It kicks off. We see Bronson on a bus coming back into New York. And he's here to visit an old war buddy named Charlie. So when he arrives at the uh, bus station, he gives Charlie a call. And suddenly, though, the phone goes dead. And, Chris, we find out that Charlie is being attacked in his apartment. By three gang members, you know, one of which is a, a very familiar face to uh, movie lovers. Uh, yeah, the, Charlie's phone goes dead, and then Charlie's about to go dead at the hands of uh, several intimidating gang members, uh, Angel, Giggler, and Hermosa. And Hermosa, being the one that you were referencing, uh, I guess you could say Charlie was facing the music. Oh, there you go. There you uh, go. It was played by none other than Alex Winter of Bill and Ted fame. And let me tell you something about Alex Winter. You know, I've seen some of these, you know, definitely the Electric Boogaloo documentary. Alex Winter just shitting on canon all he could in that one. Uh, it kind of doesn't sit well with me. Because, like, well, how much did this guy actually do in his world? Right. Bill and Ted movies? And what was that other movie? Uh, Freaks? Lost Boys? Is the Lost Boys? Oh, Freaked. Not Freaks. Freaked. Okay, Freaked. Okay, well, okay. I think Cannon had a longer track record than uh, Alex Winter is all I'm trying to say. So, yeah, Char- or Paul figures, okay, something's up with Charlie. So he gets in a cab, uh, he gets to Charlie's house and her apartment, finds Charlie basically at death's door, as you said. Um, he He's about to go dead. And uh, that's about the time the cops show up. And in some great police work, they just immediately <laughs> assume... That Paul Kersey is the man who killed uh, Charlie. And the uh, next thing you know, they're taking him off to jail, Chad. And uh, we get the Paul Kersey, or his alias Paul Kimball, uh, face-to-face with Richard Schreiker, played by the great Ed Lauder. Ed Lauder, can, the, the more movies he can appear in, the better for us, I think. Um, and this is, uh, this is one of the, the, the film series I remember him most for. Because I remember seeing this when I was when I was young, and it was just like a striking thing to have these cops working together with vigilantes. So I always remembered Ed Lauder for this role. But I mean, you you mentioned it a second ago the the, the amazing investigative work by the New York police as they show up and uh, what is it Charlie said? Uh, take care of my things. Yep. Take care of my things until I get back. Yep. Until I get back, not knowing that soon he'd be dead within seconds. And then the police, as they come in, they arrest uh, Kersey and like without even a second thought. And, and here's always something I thought uh, to kind of weave these movies together should have been done. And that is, you know, if again, let's go back to the original Death Wish. At the very end, Christopher Guest plays just a patrolman, Patrolman Riley, and he's the one who finds like the unconscious vigilante with the gun and, and calls it in but doesn't put it on his report, you know, keeps it quiet. Right. So then they could, they could shuffle him up. I always thought that Schreiker should have been uh, 
Officer Riley. Like he's, you know, obviously 10 years has passed. He's proved that on that evening that he could keep his mouth shut and play by, you know, do do the things that way needs to be done to get things done. I always thought just to kind of loop it in, you know, because he mentions, hey, I was there the night they brought a cop in with a right. bullet. Like he should have just been that cop as far as I'm concerned. I always thought that would, would have linked up one and three perfectly. Yeah, that would have been good. I think that anytime you can connect movies like that, um, I didn't remember the geographic locations of each film until just the, just the rewatch recently. Um, but I don't know if you go from patrolman to he was the chief, wasn't he? He was like a lieutenant, I believe. Lieutenant, okay, so lieutenant, you could easily do that. But yeah, I, I think it would help, um, especially if, you know, he recognizes Paul, but he doesn't recognize him. You know what I mean? So right. it, it works it works for us, the viewer, and for the police officer, but not for the the vigilante who was right. unconscious. He was he was out of it, yeah. Yeah. He he was near death's door at that point right. in time. So Yeah, I like it. Book it. I know that's you know, I'm I'm the one doing a little bit bit of a rebooking here on this one. So uh all right, Chris, here's one. Here's a great time. They throw Paul Kersey in a cell with a bunch of other hooligans. And uh, this leads to a wonderful scene involving the uh, bars of the uh, cell. Uh, yeah, the uh, bald convict decides to pick a little fight with Paul Kersey, who uh, always looks permanently annoyed. Charles Bronson gave off that very strong don't F with me vibe. And suffice to say, he was effed with. And he decides to uh, grease the bars with the blood of the fat man's head by jamming his head in between them uh, rather easily. Yeah. And, and then I always like the, the voice over here in the back. Talk about getting shit faced. I still don't know what that means. I, I just I don't know. But this gets the attention of one Gavin O'Herlihy, who's playing Manny Fraker, the leader of a gang. So he then you know, kind of gets in a little huddle and orders some of his uh, goons inside jail there with him to go after Kersey and this causes a big brouhaha and we get our first little taste of Kersey versus Fraker Um, they they separate him put him in separate cells and next thing you know though Fraker's lawyer is coming in and uh, Fraker's gonna go get get out get get out of jail and uh, just basically comes right out and and in front of cops saying he's gonna kill kill a little old lady for him and then to come on, to come on by and visit him If you know, if Kersey ever does get out of the, out of the jail there. So did you notice how Fraker looks like Bill Burr's evil twin? <laughs> I, I did not, but now I can, I can now see you that. Can't you can't unsee it, right? Can't right. Unsee it now and I, that hairstyle, that's like the road warrior hawk. Right, the reverse uh, mohawk. The yeah, reverse mohawk, which you know, I don't know how in it was in 1985, but it doesn't work. Uh, I don't in this picture for me. Well, don't forget that old Gavin here was originally on Happy Days, uh, playing Chuck Campbell, uh, not Chuck Campbell, uh, Chuck Cunningham. Cunningham, who went upstairs never to return again. So I guess this is what he's been up to in the decade or so since he left the sitcom yeah. world. Yeah, I mean, your family abandons you like that. You make your own family out on the streets, so that makes sense. And what is it with Kersey? Everywhere he goes, people hate him. They always try to fight him. I mean, he makes it, what, 10 seconds in the in the prison cell before this bald guy comes out. Now, let's be honest. When he looked down 
and he saw the shitter was like all destroyed, I would have been mad too. Right. So, I mean, what what happens if I got to take a dump? Like, right. Why you and, break the crapper? Like, I don't get it. And you would think everybody at that point would have been mad at that guy. Right. And that, I assume yeah. that's where the whole shit face thing came in. But that's true. Much sense, but but yeah, it. it I mean, that guy should he had it coming anyway. So let's let's just applaud that. Well, you make a good point, Chad, because I was going to say it's possible that the shit-faced line was something that was in the script because they planned on doing something with the toilet, ah, and then they just decided to, uh, you know, do a little switcheroo and do the scene with the bars instead. So maybe you know he jammed his face in the toilet or something similar like that, and then just they left the line in in typical canon fashion. It uh, it got through quality control and it was left in the movie. So maybe it actually makes sense after all. Yeah, th- there is there's a line later in in, in the. Uh in this movie that I think definitely was, it was that case where they just left it in because something else was supposed to happen. I do actually have a copy of the death wish three script. I don't remember there being anything about the toilet specifically, but I may have to do some research uh, after this program. Um, let's talk about another character that we are introduced to. It is the public defender, Catherine Davis played by Deborah Raffin. She is very interested in Kersey's case because he hasn't been charged with anything, but he's in jail. So that's kind of a red flag. Uh, as it should be. Uh, so at this point, you know, Shriker's just like, you know, stay out of it. Mind your business. Get out of here. And then he calls in Kersey and we have a, a meeting uh, where Chad, he basically wants Paul Kersey to be a vigilante working for the NYPD. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a match made in heaven at this point because Kersey is there to meet his buddy, Charlie because Charlie had something that he wanted he wanted help with. It's not. It doesn't take much for us to figure out what it is. Uh, Charlie's dead now. Kirstie's kind of in the middle of this, and Stryker finally recognizes, uh, you know, this Paul Kimball, quote unquote, uh, for being who he is, and realizes that man, we can't stop all this crime in the city. We need help. Who better to help us than the guy who already cleaned the shit out of the city once uh, in New York? And he knows the territory and whatnot. And he makes a little deal with them. You know, you go out there, maybe maybe pass us a nugget or two here, let us know, or we can come in and look good for the papers, or for the media, and we're going to let you do your business. And uh, I don't think that Kersey expected it, but he no. certainly wasn't going to let it pass. You know, and you brought up a good point there about Charlie, you know, had called his, his buddy Paul. So that would lead me to believe, Chris, that Paul had to reveal to Charlie at some point that he was a vigilante because when Charlie knew him in the war, he was a conscientious objector. So that would be the last guy you would call to be like, Hey, I need some help killing some thugs. So Paul had to reveal. That's true. And see, what about this? Uh, We learned later from Bennett that, that Charlie wanted to get rid of these guns because he was worried that if he had them, he would use them. Maybe he was going to get his buddy. who was a conscientious objector. And, to take the guns away from him, ah, so he could be okay. have this weight lifted off of him. Or was there any type of revelation in the time where Kersey was banned from the city to his return, where investigative journalism, you know, exploited his name or you know exploited the situation where it became public knowledge? Because you know, Schreiker obviously has uh, you know the police, the details from the police department to go on, but is it possible? that Kersey is now kind of the public face of vigilantism. And now that he's set foot back in New York, this is why 
he's been getting accosted so quickly uh, into the movie. Mm. That's possible. Another another interesting theory. So Kimball ta- or Kersey takes the deal. Yeah. Uh, Kath- Catherine Davis meets Kimball. That's air quotes for those who can't see me, which is everybody. So she meets with him and, you know, he's just like, oh, no, uh, yeah, I don't want to press any charges. I'm all good. I'll see you later. Goodbye. And uh, it doesn't take long before he's getting to work. But at the same time, Fraker has returned to his gang hideout and he has to reestablish himself as the alpha of the group. And poor Chaco, who was left in charge uh, while while Fraker was away, uh, he gets on the wrong end of, of a switchblade. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, Fraker had to had to kind of make an example out of somebody, and and I don't remember the guy's name. You said it was Chaco. Chaco, yes. He certainly didn't look like he was a very imposing guy. No, uh, and most of these guys aren't. They're all like really tiny. Uh, no, I mean it looks like an audition for the Beat It video. <laughs> I was like, it's a uh, it's one year after they did Newsies, and they just like, all right, Crutchy, get over here. Um, and then we see Kersey kind of his first bit of action because he sees this woman being harassed by our boy Hermosa who says the, who jumps on the hood of her car and is like just mugging in her uh, windshield there with the eloquent line, come here, bitch. I want to eat you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this freaks her out a bit and uh, she just keeps driving to her credit. She just keeps driving. She doesn't let anything bother her. Um, and Kersey shows up with a tire iron and uh, helps her out there. And that was our first bit of action. Then he goes out from the uh, parking garage, and Bennett calls from up in his window, and we get our first meeting with Bennett and uh, Paul Kersey. And I like this part where uh, Bennett says, oh, yeah, Charlie talked about you all the time, but like Kersey's like, he's never heard of Bennett in his life. I love it. It's just kind of like a burn without being a burn. So Bennett, uh, he kind of fills in, uh, Paul, about what's been going on in the neighborhood, Chris. Yeah, and uh, you know, now that Paul is being briefed on everything, it's only a matter of time before these uh, these shithead punks start getting picked off one by one. As uh, Paul becomes basically, uh, he goes from being a vigilante who's dealing with tragedy in part one and just kind of you know uh, going off the rage he feels by what happened to his wife and daughter to now uh, like the urban Rambo of sorts, mm-hmm. basically anybody who's standing in his way, uh, you know, he's uh, he's out for justice years before Steven Seagal was. And Chad Cruz, I have something to, to ask you being the uh, marksman of the group. Please do. So that, you know, Bennett and uh, Kersey are looking out Bennett's window and talk, you know, they're, they're eyeballing Fraker who's down below. Right. And Bennett mentions like, oh, you think you could just go right up to him and, you know, do something to him. Oh, no, you can't get six feet. He's got people watching him. But I'm thinking to myself and, you know, again, I'm, I'm no shooter. But if Kersey had a sniper rifle up there right then and there in that apartment, I'm thinking this would have been over already. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, we didn't he didn't need that with his with his magnum later. He it takes a guy out running, running away at like 100 feet. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I got like Fraker, you can't shoot him from a distance. You got to walk up, put two in him, and let people see you do it. I think that's, I think that's part of his, uh, his mystique, right? He's the leader of this gang. You, you kill him from a distance and the gang keeps going on, but 
if you walk up and take him out, you know, mano a mano, he's done for. Oh, you know, I'm fine with how things play out and definitely, you know, you want that satisfaction. But, you know, for Bennett to say that, it's like, no, I think that could have, I think it could have easily been resolved uh, yeah. some time ago. Cal up, upstairs, you have a couple of those. Those yeah. are probably good at, what, uh, a couple thousand meters? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure something could have been done. So basically, Kersey, since uh, Charlie's rent was paid through the end of the month, he's just going to crash Charlie's place because um, why not? And then the very next day, he meets Rodriguez, who thanks Paul for helping out his wife, Maria. She was the woman in the car uh, from the night before. Now, and Rodriguez is an interesting character, and we'll, we'll talk more about him as this thing goes, him and his stupid zip gun. But... Um, Paul then goes and buys his own car that he's going to use as bait. And then we get this great scene where he's coming back into the apartment, smells stuffed cabbage and says it's wonderful. And next thing you know, we're having a dinner party with the Caprofs, Chris. Yeah. I mean, what better way to know that your dinner is going to go well than to have the famous New York vigilante as the guest of honor. But, uh, you know, he's integrating himself into the uh, local population he's making an enemy of the gang members and it's just a matter of time before it's a it's almost like a civil war of sorts where he's kind of staking his claim and he's uh, rallying his own troops whether they are the elderly jewish couple or bennett who's also elderly and uh, easily identifiable by his trademark b cap b is for bennett it is you know it's funny because he he's really is like a social butterfly cursey he, he kind of comes into this town. He doesn't know anyone except Charlie. Charlie dies. He immediately meets Bennett, who introduces him around the, the neighborhood, tells him about everybody he needs to know, and then all these bad guys. He knows them by name. He knows some of their, like, attributes. Oh, this guy's a really fast runner. Nobody can catch him. And he's, like, telling us all about this shit that, that is going to be really beneficial for someone who's trying to murder these people later. <laughs> a lot of exposition was had. Yeah, it's great, and it's it's perfect for us, the viewer, because we're we're learning about like, oh, this guy, he's the giggler. Why? Oh, because he laughs when he runs. How about that? I think I saw him do that earlier. And then, so we're learning all this cool stuff, but we're also meeting the neighborhood people who have had these businesses for 40, 50 years, have never moved out. Why haven't they moved out? Because they can't. Anyone who could is gone. So, uh, you know, we're connecting all these tissues, and um, luckily, that stuffed cabbage smelled delightful, and he went in there and he had what a first floor, uh, yeah, a place to hang out on the first floor where he could get out to his car quickly. I don't know if that was his whole plan or not, but that's what I got from it. Yeah, and yeah, they're they're eating dinner. They hear a ruckus outside, and Kersey uh, politely excuses himself from the table and goes outside and shoots them. Uh, and, and you know, again, some a, a great line here. You know, what's the problem with the car? It's my car, and, my and it's. It's beautiful. It's Bronson at his best right there. Shoots some thugs, then comes right back in, presumably to have some dessert. Yeah. And the best part is that nobody is scared by this new mysterious man who is just, you know, set up house in their building, nonchalantly killing people. Right. No one no. is scared by it. No one notifies the authorities. No one has any problem with it. And it's not so much any fear they should have of Paul Kersey, but it's just how bad the gang is and how bad life has become in this neighborhood. Right. I mean, and yeah, in the very next scene, we'll see, yeah, the opposite of, of 
being concerned about it. They, they actually love it because we see uh, the Rodriguez family coming home with a bag of groceries and they're, they're being harassed again. And uh, they do the old schoolboy trick on, on poor Rodriguez. He falls down. Kersey to the rescue, though. And this is when Emil, the guy who runs the laundromat, comes out and says, who is this man? We need him. So, yeah, they're all ready for a hero. And if it's going to be Paul Kersey, it's going to be Paul Kersey because he's standing up to to these people that have been just, you know, making these these poor old folks the downtrodden of, of the neighborhood. He's ready to take out Fraker's Freaks. Oh, look at you writing. Uh, See what I did? You know, you get Alex Winter, Fraker, Freak. You freaks, know, all, yeah, you're, you're really good. See little that. little alliteration. And yep. yeah, I like it. So now, Chad Cruz, we get to see Kersey setting up using some of his engineering abilities. Yeah. Uh, we, we get to, well, I guess he's an architect, not an engineer, but still, he's a smart guy. He knows how shit works. And right. he sets up one of the, the, his first Home Alone traps. Yeah, it really is. It's a Kevin McAllister special. Uh, he, he takes a, a freaking like two by four <laughs> and hooks it to the under where this window comes in because these guys keep sneaking through these windows off the fire escape. So he, he slides his two by four down and then uh, hooks up some lever action situation to where once they once they trip this wire, this damn two by four just smacks him right in the face. And uh, yeah, the same. I think it was the same guy who had tried to steal the bag of groceries or who was messing with the Rodriguez family. He, he tries to sneak in and get a little something for himself because he needed some extra cash. And he walks out with uh, a few less teeth. Right. Lost his two front teeth. And there's also the other one he did is a little bit more simplistic where he just took like a cabinet door and put some nails in it. So when you stepped inside, and and this was another, you know, and and I know that the scene in home alone where Kevin's watching the old gangster movie is, is, you know, iconic, but it it almost would be perfect if he was watching death wish three. And that's what taught him to make, make those booby traps. Or even if there was like a death wish three poster in Buzz's rooms to just let you know, like, Oh yeah, he's, he's aware of this film and this is where he got his booby trap knowledge from. Was there a first blood reference? Did at any point, does he have the uh, headband in that movie? I can't remember. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. In home alone. No, because at the end it was just kind of him running around with the BB gun and the paint cans and stuff. So yeah, that, that definitely would have would have been good for me is, is if we could put some Death Wish three in Home Alone. But uh, again, I, I, I stand by their decision with their gangster movie, that you filthy animal. So hey, you know there might be a reboot someday. There in could fact, be with the way the world goes. I could almost guarantee it. And, and at that point, you know, the Death Wish three would be like that old black and white movie from the first Home Alone because it'd be so old yeah. that it, it would seem like an ancient film. All right, well now. Somebody has found Paul Kersey, and her name is Catherine Davis. The public defender has tracked Paul Kersey down to Charlie's apartment building. And what does she do but invite him to dinner? What else would she do with this man who was mysteriously arrested but not charged? And my question to you, Chad Cruz, does this woman have daddy issues? I think so. I think it's clear that she has some issues. Um, and the more we learn about her, the more it, it pronounced it is because there's something going on here her with her mentally. Um, but the idea that you can just find this this, uh, this recently arrested man 
who was arrested, not only, he wasn't just like arrested for a bunch of parking violations, he was arrested for murder. Uh, and he wasn't right. charged, he was released, but still, like, it's it's hard to just uh, to walk up and, and ask someone out who was just arrested for murder. I don't know where she comes from, but yeah, she's got some issues, man. I don't know what it is, but I, I don't I, I don't get paid to to think about that kind of stuff. She yeah, likes like, bad boys. Yeah, that could be. I mean, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or or she is just desperate as all get out because I mean, come on, has she has she gone through every? I mean, New York's a big city too. There's a lot of options. I mean, he was a he, one thing that Paul Kersey has in spades is it's the confidence. I think that's why people always are trying to fight him because they see this guy walking in. Yeah, and got that chip on his shoulder. He's got a swagger, you know, even when he's yep. coming on the subway and he's walking into town and he's carrying his little his little suit bag and stuff. Like he's got something. He knows that he can just kill you at any moment, <laughs> so he doesn't have to worry about things. And I think that she, maybe she she gets a sense of that and she's she's attracted to it. Could be, uh, you know, I'd buy that. Uh, we talked about the giggler. He laughs when he runs, and he's very, very fast. But Paul Kersey has a solution to this problem. Here's another little thing, because I've seen this movie probably triple-digit times. I like that Paul orders the gun, the Wildy Magnum, then goes to the uh, post office box place and signs up. For, like, what address did he use when he ordered the it doesn't matter. Yeah. So he does, he, you know, he's kind of doing it in, in, in reverse order there, but that's all right. Big build up, Chris, for this Wildy Magnum. That, you know, they, they tease it for a bit. And uh, when it shows up, it does not disappoint. No, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. The, uh, the Wildy does not disappoint. And I guess this was maybe his Dirty Harry moment. Yeah, yeah. better than Dirty Harry. I mean, yeah. they even bring that up because Dirty Harry had the, the 44 Magnum, correct? Correct. And so, yeah, I think it's even Ben. It's like, oh, is that like a 44 Magnum? And he's like, no way, man. This is even better. You Suck me? it, Eastwood. That's some pussy shit. Did you say that? Some, uh, not in so many words. But the Wildy, if it fires a rifle round, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like an African game could yeah. be hunted with this gun. It's yeah. got some punch to it. So, yeah, he... And you're just once he gets it, you're just waiting for him to use it too. That's the best part. It's like, oh, he ordered it specifically for the giggler, and now I'm just like waiting for the giggler to come back on screen. And obviously, when Figures Toy Company makes the Paul Kersey figure, it absolutely, positively must come with a Wildy. That's well. Are we starting with the Death Wish three version? Yes. We have to go in order. Let me me tell you, and let me get lay out a a great argument for you and you can give this to your boss as well if you'd like the wildy company the gun company was about to declare bankruptcy they were going to be out of business then this gun appeared in death wish 3 and the company prospered so what i'm saying is death wish 3 helps companies prosper there I'm, That's I'm my pitch. Down. Damn. You I'm, make a Death Wish 3 figure. I mean, yeah, why are we starting? Because we just want to make our Because you make that Death Wish 3 figure, you can make whatever other figure you want after that. As long as Paul Kersey has his leather jacket and his Wildy Magnum, business is going to pick up to quote a great man. And, you know, 
to be honest, Death Wish 3 is the most toyetic of the five Death Wish movies. Oh, yeah. Because you can make, you know, the main punks, you can make a whole bunch of uh, colorful, disposable punks, almost kind of like, you know, the, the Cobra Troopers or the Shock Troops. Right. right. You could have a playset with an apartment with the wall blows out of it. Just a dilapidated <laughs> apartment playset. You could do a great, a great gimmick where instead of using, you know, let's not, you know, use money on getting likenesses from some of these guys. Instead of the giggler, why don't we just have the laugher? Uh, <laughs> instead of Fraker, we'll have gang leader, right? But Can does that mean instead that of death wish figures, we have to do death kiss figures? Yeah. <laughs> no. no. But, you know, we, <laughs> I'm assuming it would cost money to get the likenesses for these fellows. I mean, I don't know. I'm an idea guy. That's what I am. Chad's basically trying to audition for a job with Asylum with these uh, name, <laughs> yeah, exactly. name, these subtle name changes. All right, so we we get we get Wildy, but you know before we get to see that we we have a we have the scene that if you were watching this at home as a youngster, this is the scene where your mom would come into the room, and it is the scene where Maria Rodriguez is abducted as she's coming out of the grocery store because apparently she's at the grocery store every damn day. Um, and then right, she right, is right, un- right. unfortunately then she is taken to some sort of abandoned building and and raped which uh is a common theme in the death wish films unfortunately uh but yeah this would definitely be the part part where somebody would come in the room that you didn't want to come in the room yeah it's a shame i mean it's it, it's one of those scenes in in all of these films they all have something that it's supposed to kind of make you wince and, yep. and make and make you want Percy to to go all out on these guys, and and this is the one. And not only you know turns him into a, a more of a murderous guy, but it 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 turns uh, Rodriguez into one as well because he ends up helping him after this. But yeah, it's you know these are always tough to watch, but it's the exploitation value though. It was almost a necessity in certain movies. Yeah, they're a rapey, killing kind of gang, so this is kind of what they do. Well, now Kersey's going to do what he likes to do, and uh, this is where we're going to get to see Wildy in action. And this is a very famous scene. He, he gets a camera, and he's going to go out for some ice cream. I always thought it should have been a Canon camera, to be honest with you, for, for obvious reasons. Uh, but it was not. But Kersey goes out for some ice cream, because, and, and I think we've established he's an ice cream fan. We, I think he, yeah. he had it in uh, Death Wish 2. Um, so... He's an ice cream fan. He goes to the little convenience store, picks up an ice cream. Giggler cannot help himself. He sees that camera. He knows he can run, snatch the camera, and just keep running. He does it, but, Chad, he does not keep running for long. No, you're not going to outrun a bullet. And the Wildy finally makes its debut, and it's a squash. Um, it doesn't take long for, for Kersey. I mean, he drops that ice cream pop. Like he was just waiting for that camera to come off his back. That way he could, uh, he could draw that pistol and yeah, he blows Giggler away and the crowd goes wild. Yeah. Big pop, big pop from the neighborhood because you know, obviously the Giggler has been causing trouble. And this Chris is where the next day when they find the body and, and Shriker's like, Oh man, there's not much left of this dude. And it's like, you could still see, I mean, to me, that's one of those lines where it's like, was he supposed to really be, Right. I mean, he had a big hole in him, but you could still see him. He still, you, you could tell what the body was. Right. He wasn't disemboweled or chopped right. to pieces. Like this wasn't a horror movie killing. He was shot to death. Right. So yeah, yeah he had, he had a big hole in him, but to say there's not much left of this dude, that seems to me like at some point that was in the script because who knows what, 
Maybe he was got shot and then get run over by a semi truck or something. Threw him into a meat grinder at the butcher shop next to the building mm-hmm. or something. Right. Yeah. And there could have been a, there could have been room for such a great line there. You know, you're not laughing now, or look who's laughing now, or you're not going to run away from this one, or you know anything. There's like a, a, a ton of things you could have said there, and that line really doesn't fit in at all. All right, well, with the giggler out of the way, Paul has a little chance for some relaxation. So he uh, meets Catherine at her basement apartment, and uh, she makes chicken. Mm. And uh, Chris, do you want to deliver the line, the line of lines about chicken? The line of lines about chicken is not off the top of my head right now, so I... Come on now. (laughs) She's like, I made chicken. It's the only thing I know how to make. And Kersey says, chicken's good. I like chicken. (laughs) That's the line you were looking for? That's the line I was looking for. That is a line in a legitimate film. Okay. Uh, It sounds like a George Lucas line. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so you it, actually it, had me trying harder to sound like, all right, I'm like, I, I know. know, like, certain quotes, like, you know, they killed the giggler, man. Like, I can think no. of all those things. Yeah, but you want, you want to bust out the chicken quote. I like chicken. He could, uh, you know, he, he could have been like a spokesman for KFC or something. Right. Again, there you go. Another, yeah. you know, another, yeah. yeah, there could have been Death Wish collectible glasses. Oh, my, oh. I would love to have such things. Okay. The other thing we, we, and speaking of glasses, somebody's thirsty. And I'm going to tell you who that person is. It is Catherine Davis because after their, their chicken dinner, winner, winner, uh, she wants uh Kersey to stick around a little while, but he's like, no, no, uh, you know, he, he's, and that's the other thing. As far as she's no knows, he's still Paul Kimball, unemployed writer. He doesn't even give her his, his true idea. Everybody else in the neighborhood knows that he's Paul Kersey, but, Catherine Davis thinks he's Paul Kimball, unemployed writer. Uh, but yeah, she is definitely, definitely a thirsty woman, Chad. Curtain for squirting. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Uh-huh. So with the giggler out of the way, Fraker's kind of ticked off because that was one of his main guys. So he sends out his boy, the Cuban, played by one of your favorites, Chad, Rico Ross, yep. uh, to to kill Kersey. And uh, that doesn't end too well for, for old Rico. Yeah, you know, Cuban didn't stand much of a chance. Here's another guy who could easily have an action figure that you would kill many, many times with your Paul Kersey figure. Um, and they, they really set him up for success here, too, because they, they cornered Kersey. They had him on the run. He didn't have his gun. He didn't have his wildy. All Cuban had to do was catch up to this old bastard and kill him. But... Cuban chases him up to the top of the roof. Next thing you know, he's doing a swan dive, and there's nothing below to catch him. Well, other than that car. Oh, yeah, that car. that, But that hurt pretty bad. Yeah, it sure did. So Cuban, he's out of the picture. So Fraker now, okay, you took one of mine out again. I'll take somebody else out of yours. So he goes and finds Emil's wife and, and slits her throat, which is pr- just a nasty Nasty thing to do, and even calls a meal to let him know about it, which is, you know, that's the old salt in the wound. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of epic trolling by Mr. Fraker. He is an epic troll, you're right. So now we get to the part where Bennett decides to play a little show and tell with Paul Kersey, and uh, we get to see those two machine guns that you mentioned earlier, Chad, that Charlie had brought back with him from the war. 
Um, and uh, you can shoot some big holes in the sons of bitches, as uh, what Bennett says. See that just in case, is, just in case, Kersey didn't know. That line is a bit more memorable than chicken. Yeah, chicken's good. I like chicken. <laughs> uh, my question here is here. Uh, how did he bring back these two machine guns? There, there we go. This is uh, what I was waiting for. Yeah, I figured you were. Um, I, it's a it's a bizarre idea to bring back some thirty cows with with some ammunition. Um, but you know, I'm all here for it. I wish I had the the uh, the ability or the option to bring back weapons for more. It could have been fun. It could have been a fun July Fourth weekend, but. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just not seeing it. But you know, good for him. Good for Charlie. Maybe, and ben. maybe there was a UPS store in Korea, and he just took it <laughs> over there and, and shipped him over. Yeah, he just had a really big suitcase. That too, big trunk. He shipped back. Gorilla box. So yeah, so we we you, we get these guns. You know they're going to come into play. Not just yet though, um, because first we have to get date number two with Catherine, and this time. Paul gives her what she wants and uh, there's some, uh, you know, they, they, they do their thing. They work up a bit of an appetite and decide, Hey, let's go out for something to eat late, late night place. We'll go get something to eat. But first Paul wants to check his mail just in case. I don't know. Maybe he had some ammo for his wieldy being delivered or whatnot. So while Paul's inside the, uh, the uh, uh, post office box place, Fraker and angel show up, knock Catherine out put the car in drive, let it go down the hill relatively slowly. <laughs> and uh, when it gets down, it, it has a bit of a collision. Uh, and once it gets into the intersection and the car explodes, uh, is this possible, Chad Cruz? Mm, you know, I want to say maybe, but I'm going to say absolutely not. <laughs> and at not this point, you know, it it is it's a fiery mess. I mean, it's a huge explosion. Yeah, it's no, and it's not like a, um, they hit the gas tank and fluids went everywhere and something caught fire. By the time he got there, it blew up. It was like instant boom explosion, double explosion, no survivors. Not even a thought of him running down there. He's just like, ah, shit. Yeah, he gets about halfway and he's like, yep, she's gone. Another yeah. one bites the dust. Another yeah. one bites the dust. It was a it was a common trope in the eighties that if you had sex in a horror movie, you were bound to die. And the same could go for the Death Wish series because uh, sex with Paul Kersey equals six feet under. Oh yeah, yep. any yep. like physical contact with Paul Kersey, you're pretty much like you know begging to be killed. Yeah, Jill Ireland survived too, but she basically made that a point. Like she wasn't going to do the movie if she died, so she just drove off and left him. And that was his real wife, wasn't it? That was yeah, his real wife. So yeah, yeah so, she got final say. Yeah, yeah, she got fi- yeah. So he wasn't going to go against her, and they weren't going to go against her because that was his wife. So yeah, so she got her way. But yeah, all the other, mm, all the other four, and and that's why even by, you know, I love Paul Kersey. He's one of my favorite characters. But it's like, dude, do do you really think you should be getting into another relationship based on the way the last? couple of ended for you you're basically putting this woman's on a, on a death watch at this point the, the minute she uh hooks up with you yeah. but that but you but, know man, men have needs and i understand and she went out with a bang Ooh, yes and she sure did uh so rest in peace Catherine davis public defender 
Um, at this point, though, Schreiker kind of pulls in the ring. He's like, okay, this is getting out of hand. He has uh, his boys take uh, Kersey into protective custody. Custody, And uh, now Fraker is really running roughshod. He goes to Bennett's little uh, taxi meter fix-it shop, and he blows it up. And this is where we get to hear Bennett say my shop about 15 times in a row. And he's pissed. Bennett is all kinds of pissed because they just blew up his place of employment. Um, and he goes and gets the machine guns. And Chad Cruz, again, we defer to your expertise on machine mm-hmm. guns. Uh, how the hell did he load these freaking bullets in the wrong way? Now, okay, so th- this this could potentially happen. You could load the uh, you could load the rounds in upside down um, with the with the clips facing the wrong direction, so they wouldn't pull. Um, you could load them on the wrong side of the rifle. They're meant to be loaded from uh, from one side or the other. So the charging handle, he I didn't see him charge the charging handle. So maybe he had it loaded correctly and he just didn't charge the round. So there's a few things he could have done. Now, they're all very correctable um, if you know what you're doing. My only, my problem is that like this dude is supposed to be like a yeah a veteran, right? Like he, he served with Charlie. Now it was a long, long time ago. Right. He's carrying this big ass machine gun around. Like he's wielding this thing like he's, like he's at least seen one in the past. He's talking about it and the holes it puts in people. He should have at least known how to load the damn thing. Um, and it's unfortunate. Like to me, it would have been a cooler scene if he had blasted off thirty rounds and missed everybody, or you know, like he's just like he can't handle the power. Right. Right. Way, when we do see it later, and Paul Kersey's straight up killing fools with it, it looks more awesome. But yeah, he kind of goes out like a bitch. It sucks. But he's a tough old bird, as as the doctor yeah. said, because he takes a good fall there, too. And, you know, the first time I watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, Bennett's dead. But no, he survived. He survived, and he's in the hospital. And, in fact, if not for him being in the hospital uh, and demanding to speak to, to Paul Kersey, Kersey may not have never have been let out of uh, protective custody. Right. Uh, so it, it was a, you know, a nice a, little... Uh, a blessing in disguise. Blessed, there you go took the words right out of my mouth and, so and this is that part of the movie where you know when they say it's going to get worse before it gets better like this is kind of where that happens where um they put kersey into protective custody because shit's getting out of hand but then like he goes away and things get worse so like okay shops getting blown up people are getting killed everybody it's like getting worse like the crime's going up even if you believe it and then ben it's like i've had enough of it i'm getting my gun Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finally, as you say, Paul Kersey sneaks away from Stryker and his and his uh, his cop buddies. He does. He uses the window and the old fire escape to get out of the hospital. And then, while this is going on, though, here's another interesting thing, and I didn't know it, it existed, and maybe you did, Chris. But uh, Fraker seems to call like a temporary service for thugs, uh, <laughs> and basically says, "I need more heat in, in my area." So yeah, the, the thug hotline. Yeah. <laughs> like how many you need? It's like, Oh yeah. About a, you know, three dozen. And, and yeah. So some guys just start showing up on their motorcycles with chains, their grenades, they're, they're pissed off. They're, they're like, I don't know who's paying these people. It's, it's an interest. It's, it's fascinating. Really. Is it like a sister city kind of thing to where like, Oh, we have this sister city in Mexico, you know, 
let's let's get their gangs over here. And it's interesting because, you know, uh, if you think back to something like the Warriors, usually when you see a gang in a movie, there's always some kind of turf war or some type of situation where they're not getting along with their peers. And apparently Manny Fraker is the ultimate unifier. Just like, hey, all gangs, come help me with my bullshit that I started. Or, or is it all the same gang and they're like franchisees? You're like, you've kind got like this the X-Men had X-Factor and X-Force and stuff like that. <laughs> nice. And you know what? We we saw Fraker kill a guy at the beginning, or he had a guy killed at the very beginning because he was on their turf. So maybe he was calling that gang and saying, all right, you want a truce? Send me 20 guys. You want peace between our gangs? Help me take out this this fool. You know, Fraker, th- that just proves that he should not have been. He, he could have been a public servant. He could have been helping the world True. instead of doing these things with these type of negotiation skills. But now I have a I have a question. Maybe you can answer this, Brain. I'll try. Alrighty. Um did we ever hear the name of the gang? No. No. Nope. We, we never heard the name. Okay. That was bothering me the whole time I was rewatching it because you know they have the little face paint. Yeah, uh, they had a logo but not a name. Yeah, like what's your name? Like I, I need to have something or I'm gonna make something up. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It bothered me the entire time I was watching. What, it. Was that logo kind of like the print symbol years later? <laughs> Could have been like, like that Maybe. was that stood for a word, but we just don't know. I don't know, or the gang formerly known as I don't know. It looked like a not equal sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. So was it because people weren't on their level, or because they felt inferior to Ooh. society and were then rebelling? See that that's the deep dive. Why was this gang such a gang? But they were a very diverse gang of people. Yeah. I mean, Cuban is hanging out with these guys. Alex Winter is running around. He's like 12 years old. looks like it anyways. And why Uh, does Alex Winter have the Spanish name? uh, Yeah, I don't know. Right? Uh, No, he's Hermosa. Now, if his name was Mimosa, maybe, yeah. Maybe that just was his (laughs) drink of preference. But, uh, you know, no, it's Hermosa. I smell a parody. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be so good can't wait for that box set all right so we get the the thugs come in and uh and you mentioned this earlier so rodriguez basically he has nothing to lose um yeah. so he's he's gonna join up with kersey as they declare war on the gang and uh but this has always been the annoying part and there's actually I guess I've read this. It wasn't in the script that I have. I think I have probably one of the later scripts. Um, but there was at one point the thought that Paul would give Rodriguez an actual freaking gun instead of him using that zip gun. Of course, the other thing I always wondered is, you know, they're killing these people left and right. These weapons are hitting the ground. Why did he not pick up an actual gun? Right. From from one of their fallen gang members who basically don't even get it. Some of them don't even get off any shots. They're just immediately killed. So, you know, it's fully loaded, ready to go. But what is a zip gun? I was hoping you would know, Chad. I've seen we I've used little like uh, pin flares. They're like, a, uh, you know, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's like a little pin shaped object. And you put a little uh, little charged, uh, almost like a small battery in it. And you pull back on it, pow, and you, and you shoot it out almost like a bottle rocket. And, uh, you know, when I was overseas the last time, we would use those um, to say, get the hell back. 
you know, you just fire a pen flare in that vicinity, and it was almost like a little firecracker. Um, but I didn't, I've never heard of a zip gun. What about you, Chris? Zip gun knowledge? Anything? Uh, not so much an actual zip gun, but I remember when we were teenagers, one of the big things was to uh, build a potato gun. Oh, yeah, those were great. I think the statute of limitations has run out on that. Authorities won't be knocking on your door. I don't, I don't think I don't think potatoes flying in Death Wish Three would have flown, so they had to resort to the zip gun. But it's usually some type of uh, improvised device, like whether you're in prison or just kind of like MacGyvering your way through something. You're kind of making it from you know piping and you know creating your own type of mechanism for it. It's just basically a, a do-it-yourself type of weaponry you know diy rodriguez indeed um he's like i'm gonna use this zip gun and he's uh bronson's like all right i'm gonna use this 30 caliber machine gun (laughs) (laughs) he just looks away from him like what an idiot no wonder your wife's dead at least rodriguez was there to hold the ammo that's true Uh, he was he was he was beneficial there the other thing i like about this scene is you know the empowerment that curzy gives to to the neighborhood as we start seeing these regular folk uh, fight back and uh, yeah. whether it's like setting up a trap with the chain and then a bunch yeah. of people shooting the, 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 the gang members who fell that was uh, the, great. the woman with the broom, you got the, the family wearing the pantsuits that go to the drawer and grab the gun. It just, it's fascinating. It's just, I mean, this is why I could watch this movie 10 million more times because it's just so freaking ridiculous. And it's just the ultimate good versus evil as the neighborhood is now standing tall against the, these horrible, horrible human beings. And there's so many gang members that show up. It's not like there's five of them. There's no, right. It's an army. There's an army of gang members. And like you said, a lot of them just are swinging chains around their head and lead pipes and stuff like that. And there's a, Big fat black dude who's just like screaming over and over again, and you just knew he had no chance of surviving. But the neighborhood people step up and they they start setting these traps up for themselves and taking out people. And then the cops finally show up and they get their asses absolutely handed to them. Yeah, and, and one of the things though, you know, where the the fighting back backfired, it was that couple that they fought back, but then they they get like a, the Molotov cocktail thrown into their, their house. So they come out, now they're on fire, and there's Fraker from above. You know, not bad enough these people are just burning to death. And then he yeah. just, like, shoots an Uzi at them, and it's <laughs> just wonderful. I mean, again, they really want you to know that these are horrible, horrible human beings. Yeah, and you mentioned the cops, Chad, and we do get uh, Shriker. He's going to get in on the action, and he has his famous line of, I owed you that one, dude. Beautiful. <laughs> Just beautiful. And now, Chris, this is where it becomes like a, a video game as Kersey and Shriker are just running down the street. It's like Double Dragon. Just running down the street and these things are popping up all over and they're just they're just taking them out. We have reached the final level. It's a, it's like that, uh, you know, those the big arcade games that had the, I don't know what they call them, but where the screen just moves from left to right. And you just, the side scrollers. The side scrollers. So we had one yeah. Years ago, I worked at a hotel, and we had one called Space Gun, and I would just go in there and beat my high score every day, <laughs> and it was just a side scroller, and that's what that's what uh, Fraker it, his his goons end up becoming. They're just a, a side scroller for Shriker and Cursey to kill over and over again. 
And you make a good reference to Double Dragon because, again, you know, these punks, these really were, you know, we made the beat it joke, made, you know, all sorts of jokes about these punks. But this is also what the video games were giving us all these very colorful, very outlandish, uh, you know, ruffian types in yep. these things. You know, this was a very, a very popular thing in 80s and 90s cinema and video games. So, you know, Death Wish 3 kind of uh, setting a trend that would go on for years to come. So you talked about the final level and we really get to the final boss here. The big finale takes place in Charlie's apartment. Kersey is out of bullets. He has to go back. Um, and Shriker with like a hawk notices Fraker following in and uh, we get the, the big shootout. Uh, Shriker takes a bullet and they just both unload on Fraker. Just kill him. And, it, and, and Chad, you had to believe though. That, that ended too easily. Yeah, no one goes down that easily at the end of a film like this, especially, you know, the main bad guy like Fraker. And it could have been, it could have been something else. You know, they could have just made it like, all right, you know, he's just a one bad dude and he took five gunshots to the chest. But they went with the bulletproof vest, which I liked a lot. Yeah. Now, that's not how bulletproof vests work, whatever. That would have hurt like hell. But he got up and he was like, you know, bulletproof vest just like you. Because we saw right. the same thing happen with Curse Healer. He got shot and it was like, he just kind of no-sold it. But little did he know, bulletproof vests don't, don't stop what Curse he had. Right, yeah. Yeah, And but you gotta, did it not hurt him? Because you have to assume that, you know, Fraker could have been coked up. That's true. You know. And, uh, I mean, it can stagger you too. I mean, he was laying there for a minute or so, kind of gaining his bearings. Yeah, I mean, it, he, he did get uh, knocked back down, you know, when they shot him half a dozen times or whatever it was. He got knocked on his ass there. But, yeah, it, it it's awesome because it's it's cool because Fraker kind of gets the drop on Kersey, and then Stryker comes back. Like, he like he gets another one. Like, you know, I owed you one, and then he gets another one, <laughs> and he saves Kersey again, or you think so anyways, and he gets shot in the process. And then Fraker stands up and you're like, uh-oh, now what? But it was funny because, you know, for such a homicidal maniac who was just killing people with without even flinching through the whole movie, he has to stop and deliver that final speech, which is really what his hesitate, his own hesitation is what did him in. It's the, the fatal flaw of the, of the main villain. It's no, the true. ego. And I love how his girlfriend noticed immediately that it must have been him that was yeah. blown to bits. It couldn't have been anything else. He just screams in terror at that final scene. Right. So the rocket launcher, you know, rocket bulletproof. Yes. Rocket proof. No, just, yeah. And, and now there's where you could say there's not much left of this guy. Cause it was just nothing. It was just a singed corpse. So yeah, but yeah, she knows. Maybe she recognized his uh, pink mist flying out the window. I don't well, Okay. I don't know what that even means, but all right, you're right. Maybe she did chat. Now let's also talk about if we're, if we're going to like uh, if I'm going to bitch about all these other weapon systems, how about the rocket launcher? Uh, most of them won't won't explode in that short a distance. Well, you know, the, the explosives don't take. I mean, the car is probably the more egregious explosion. But true, true. I know a guy who got shot in the head with a grenade launcher. Oh, but it was at a very short distance, and, and those take I. I don't quote me on this, but they take like at least like 50 meters before they'll become active, before they'll even have any ability to explode. So he was in, a, it was a very short distance. It was like 10 feet away from him. 
and this thing popped him right in the head and he was wearing a Kevlar helmet. So it, it took a lot of the force, but it knocked him for a loop. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would assume so, but yeah. it could have been a lot worse, obviously. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now I'm not going to bitch about weaponry, but what I am going to wonder is Schreiker really felt that his debt to Kersey was paid because the man doesn't even get an escort to the airport or anything. He is literally walking with suitcases past burning cars yep. to head out of New York once again. Just be on your way. Get out and, and head to L.A. for Death Wish 4. It would have been cool if he had thrown like uh, the 30 cal into a duffel bag <laughs> and take that with him. That would have been cool. And I guess that's the other question. Wouldn't that gun have burned their hands the way they were, were holding that? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, it depends how many ra- rounds you're firing through it. They didn't really fire that many rounds through it. Um, but yeah, those do get hot. Now there, there is like a, a kind of like a heat barrier there because you're not, those aren't meant to be held in your hand. Right. Uh, oh, I know because I, I know my dad had a big problem with roadblock and GI Joe when he had that big gun. He's like, you couldn't, you couldn't walk around with a gun like that. And I'm like, God, Leave me alone, Dad. You're ruining everything. Dad. Now, did, did Roblox have like a sling? Because that, that's what I would do. I would have I would have taken a belt and slung that bitch over my shoulder. I don't think he did. I think he was just a massive man and he could carry that around. Dude. He was. Yeah. That's that's how they've made the new figure too. The new figure just has the, the gigantic gun. Just think if Percy had he had a duffel bag, he took the 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 strap off a double duffel bag, hooked it up to his 30 cal, used it, and then slid it right back in the duffel bag, zipped that bad boy up. And it just carried it out. Still attached to the strap. Oh, that would have been cool. It would have been, but it didn't happen. All right, Chad, any final comments on Death Wish 3, the greatest movie ever made? I mean, it is an awesome movie. There's no doubt about it. Um, it it never lets up. It, if you're a Paul Kersey fan, Death Wish 3 is like your... Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's hard to like say Empire Strikes Back. It's your... Uh, Raiders of the Last Ark, because everybody has like their own thing. Like some people like a different movie other than others. But if you're a Death Wish fan, you probably like Death Wish Three the most. Yeah, because it's awesome. So I totally agree with you. I don't know if I wouldn't go as far as to say it's the greatest movie ever made, but I can see there's an argument for that. So I will give it to you, Chris. It is absolutely in my upper echelon of choice action films and films in general. Uh, like I said, you know, I started early on with a lot of stuff and being an eighties kid and growing up with a cousin who was introducing me to so many of these movies or taping them so that they were at my disposal is uh, a big part of what put Canon near and dear to my heart. And death wish three is right at the front of those titles. So this will go down as one of my favorites. I own it in several formats, including picking up a spare copy at the famous dollar tree. Oh, yes. The famous Dollar Tree, and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, yeah, Death Wish 3 again. My favorite movie of all time, tied with Superman, which is kind of odd, I guess. But, uh, you know, this is a movie that I, I caught later in my life, but I've made up for uh, made up for the lost time. And uh, I think this is a movie where if I were to go blind tomorrow and you played the movie for me, I think I could still see the movie in my head. Or if I went deaf and I watched the movie, I could still hear the movie in my head. That is how many times I have watched it in the past, what, 15 years or so. This movie, I, I, I can never not watch it. And I'll probably be watching it here again very soon. Imagine being 
deaf just hearing the chicken line over and over again in your head? Yo, I, I, I do it. Anytime I'm eating chicken, I hear that line in my head. <laughs> so, and I do like chicken because it is good. So I have that in common with Paul Kersey. If there's anything, you know, I don't probably have a ton in common with Paul Kersey, but we at least both like chicken and I guess ice cream too. That's true. So Death Wish 3 celebrated its 35th anniversary earlier this month, and we're glad to have it as part of our podcast anniversary. Part two of our anniversary celebration is going to happen next time, Chad, and it's going to be one of your all-time favorite canon movies that celebrated a 35th anniversary this year, Michael Dudikoff in American Ninja. Oh, I can't wait. Michael Dudikoff deserves so much more than he's been given as far as like uh, accolades and whatnot. And uh, I can't wait to, to talk about his film. The, the movie that brought him into the, to the Canon family and just uh, held him close and snuggled him like a warm blanket. Snuggled, yes. Okay. And, and the movie that, you know, inspired the haircut that you wanted. Oh, yeah. Candy's Country Curls, where I used to get my haircut. Uh, I would go in there with the, with the VHS tape and show him the back of it and say, this is what I want. Make me look like this. Tell him you want the Dudikoff. Give me the duty. Absolutely. So that is going to be our next one. I do want to remind everybody to follow us on social media. We are at Bulletproof Pod on Twitter and at Bulletproof Action on Facebook and Instagram. Um, before we go, though, you mentioned Dollar Tree, Chris. Have you been to the Dollar Tree? What have you been finding at the Dollar Tree? And uh, have you heard news about uh, any more shipments on the way? Uh, there hasn't been anything in the last couple of weeks. It was about a month ago, which was the most recent drop. That one had a lot of horror stuff, uh, obviously probably for the Halloween season. Did pick up a couple of Blu-rays of some cult favorites, stuff that I had on DVD that could have used an upgrade. Uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Return of the Living Dead, Jeepers Creepers. Uh, got a standalone copy of Child's Play because I already have the Chucky collection. Uh, a couple of low-budget ones that may or may not make it into some no-surrender cinema reviews in the future. Mm. But word is that they are planning another big boom of DVDs for Black Friday or in the lead-up to Christmas. Uh, if you remember last year, that was when I found probably over 100 uh, across a two- to three-week span to add to the collection. So can history repeat itself, or will it be... Old stock just getting uh, recirculated. We will find out, I guess, at the end of November. All right. And uh, what about Figures Toy Company? Any updates uh, over there? Other yeah. than your, your meeting with your boss about Death Wish 3 figures. That's going to happen tomorrow morning. Right. I mean, besides that, as soon as, you know, we'll see how the Save by the Bell meeting goes first. Um, but no, we, uh, we just got a short run of the new Francine Legends of Professional Wrestling figure in. And the full stock will be available in November, along with Scott Norton, Vince Russo, and then from the Rising Star series, we're expecting Bad Boy Joey Janela and Shane Strickland, a.k.a. Isaiah Swerve Scott, now on NXT. So lots of wrestling stuff finally coming out. Uh, most of those were figures that were due out in time for WrestleCon earlier this year. But we all know what's going on in the world and what put a damper and a delay on things. So it's nice to finally have some of those figures coming in. We've also got the highly anticipated Swamp Thing figure coming in for the DC Comics retro line. That's looking great. Uh, some other DC stuff on the way that I cannot announce yet, but there's a lot in the works for DC. Some figures uh, for Batman and the Outsiders, 
Uh, Swamp Thing's got his own series, so there's going to be an Abby Arcane figure coming out along with him. Uh, just plenty of stuff, more Scooby-Doo stuff, more Three Stooges stuff. Whole lot in the works, and uh, you know, factories are starting to run a lot better than they were earlier in the year, which means faster turnaround time. We've also got the new factory working on wrestling figures, so I've seen some prototypes of some of the Ring of Honor figures. Uh, I've seen the new Jay Lethal and Jay Briscoe. I've seen the Legends Alex Roy. I've seen the Rising Stars Ethan Page. Uh, just a lot of great stuff, and uh, the new factory is going to be a, a huge benefit to us because. Now everything is split. We've got the one factory focusing on the retro figures and how they're to be made, and the other factory focusing on the wrestling figures and how they are to be made. So I think that uh, the figures will kick it up a notch in the coming months and years to come. Very good. Very exciting news. And and where can everybody follow you uh, to keep up with this news as it, as it happens? Uh, to keep up with the news, you can follow us on Twitter. The official company pages are at Figures Toy Co. And for Wrestling Superstore, which is owned and operated by Figures Toy Company, it's at WRES underscore Superstore on Twitter. You can look up the company names on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can visit FiguresToyCompany.com for all of your professional wrestling and retro figure needs. We are officially licensed by DC Comics, uh, Warner Brothers for Hanna-Barbera. So you can find a whole series devoted to Scooby-Doo and other Hanna-Barbera cartoon stars like Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, and Birdman and the Galaxy Trio. We have the license for Kiss, the license for the Three Stooges, Ring of Honor Pro Wrestling. Uh, we have the Ring of Honor replica belts on sale now. All five of the current designs now down to $299 from the $499 that they were initially at. So almost a 50% discount in time for the holidays. Uh, you can also find most of the wrestling merchandise and more at WrestlingSuperstore.com. And if you would like to follow me on social media, if you want to read my reviews that go up at Bulletproof Action, such as the most recent No Surrender Cinema, which just posted uh, slightly earlier than at the time of this recording, which was Avenged, which was a rather interesting movie that I discovered on Tubi. Uh, you can follow me at Zach Malibu for updates on Figures Toy Company, updates on my Bulletproof Action reviews, and just pop culture in general. All right. Thank you, Chris. And Chad, any uh, final things you want to bring up before we wrap this up? I was inspired by Chris recently to go into Dollar Tree, my, my, my uh, local one, and I did make a couple quick finds. I got uh, the DVD copy of Man of Steel, which I was surprised to see in there. I got a copy of uh, I Saw the Devil, yep. and then I got a copy of a movie I'd never heard of called Paradox that looks to be a, a little kung fu action. So I'm excited, and you've inspired me. I will be revisiting the Dollar Tree. Paradox, I did not see. I got Man of Steel along with Superman 2, actually. Oh. I found both of those at the same time. Uh, actually, when I was with the little guy, so he saw Superman, and he was like, do we have those? I'm like, yeah, Daddy's got them in a binder somewhere. You know, probably burned them back when I was going on my uh, you know, DVD rental binges. And he's like, well, can we get them? I'm like, yeah, of course, for a buck. So he actually has uh, you know, the best of both worlds, Man of Steel and then one of the originals. Oh, uh, Superman 2 is classic. It's it is. It's definitely a classic. But yeah, Paradox, I did not see uh, any of the most recent last times around. All right. Well, I found nothing in my Dollar Tree as usual, so I have nothing to share in that regard. But uh, I th do want to thank you guys for joining me for this wonderful conversation about Death Wish 3. Again, my favorite movie. I could talk about this movie all day long and twice on Sunday, as they say. But I think we're about out of time. So... 
for Chad Cruz and Chris DiPetrillo. I am Chris the Brain. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 